Beauty of the Nile podcast. I'm Jasmine Mobley. The Beauty of the Nile podcast is your space for skincare tips, makeup tricks, inspiration, and motivation, especially for and from women of color. We are here to celebrate and highlight our skin's beauty. Love your brown skin. Each episode features a different guest who will be dropping dimes that help you care for and highlight your skin. I'm excited to be here with you. Let's get started. Today, I'm here with board-certified dermatologist, Dr. Sherry Fry. Dr. Fry practices medical, surgical, and cosmetic dermatology. She was born in Washington, D.C., and received a full scholarship to Iowa State University, where she graduated with distinction. She earned her medical degree from the Pennsylvania State University College of Medicine and completed her internal medicine internship and dermatology residency at the University of Florida. Dr. Fry served as chief resident and was a recipient of the Outstanding Resident Teacher Award. Dr. Fry was an assistant professor of clinical dermatology at the University of Florida prior to returning to the D.C. area. She's now in private practice in National Harbor, Maryland. Dr. Fry has published research in peer-reviewed journals and has given numerous dermatology lectures across the country. Dr. Fry has a passion for teaching and mentoring. In her free time, she enjoys reading, writing, and spending time with her husband, Dr. Brent Fry. Dr. Fry, welcome to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. So, Dr. Fry, I know that you were an assistant professor of clinical dermatology while you were at the University of Florida. What was that experience like? You know, you, you had been a student previously, and you were then a teacher. Like, what was that like? I have always enjoyed teaching, and one of the reasons I chose University of Florida for my dermatology residency uh, was because their curriculum allowed for you as uh, a chief resident to handle uh, a large amount of teaching. So really, the duties rest on the two chief residents to teach dermatology uh, from the textbook, as well as dermatopathology and surgical dermatology. Um, and so I knew going in that I would have a large teaching responsibility and that would increase as the years went by. And so I feel like that adequately prepared me to transition into an attending there. Um, mm. And I, I, I really loved the University of Florida. Um, mm-hmm. And so part of me wanted to stay in that environment just to help transition myself so when mm. you're going from being a student in dermatology, you're learning and you're growing. But at the end of the day, as a resident, an attending physician will sign off on your notes. Mm. They will make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, right? Because their name is right. on the bottom line. Uh, and so then when you become the attending, now that weight falls on you. So sometimes when you leave residency and you go to a different location, um, you know, you're, you're focusing on all of these transitions. You're getting to mm-hmm. know a new staff. You're getting to know a new patient population. So being in a comfortable environment with people that I know, people who taught me, people who are there to support me, it just allowed for a very smooth transition. Uh, but the teaching from the beginning, I felt adequately prepared to, to handle those responsibilities. Okay, awesome. Very cool. 
And so it sounds like maybe teaching is something, is it something you sought out? Is it something that, you know, was important to you, I guess? I know, you know, you said UF does that a lot where they allow students to, you know, residents to become teachers. Yeah, so, I mean, it's something that teaching in, just in, in, its, um, in different capacities is something that I've done since I was a teenager. So I tutored, mm. actually taught Bible study at my church. I'm just, oh. It's just something that I've always enjoyed doing, and mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted that to be a part of my career. Um, yeah. So when you're choosing residency programs, you start to tease out the small differences between the programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that it was something that was important to me. It makes me uh, happy to teach. I feel fulfilled. But then also when you're teaching something, you learn it better. So when you have to turn around <laughs> and uh, impart that knowledge to somebody else, you first have to make sure that you know it backwards and forwards. And so right. teaching in my last year of residency just helped to solidify all of uh, the things that I had learned in my first two years of dermatology. Okay, awesome. That's really cool. And it's, I think it's just from my experience in, in years of schooling, and not med school, but years of schooling, it's a really unique skill set that can be a good teacher and a good student. You know, even like in sports, I was an athlete, sometimes you have a good player who couldn't be a coach. So like, what is the balance that you found? You know, how were you able to strike a balance that allowed you to be such a good teacher of dermatology as well as a student? So you're absolutely right, because we'll see that in so many capacities. Some people can, you know, follow, but they can't lead. Some people are mm-hmm. great, you know, as a, as a teammate or as a player, and it doesn't always translate to the coaching side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, the hunger for knowledge um, really drives both you know Mm -hmm. so uh, when you go into medicine you know you're going to be a lifelong learner just because things change they change every year so things that I learned in med school aren't even true anymore or beyond that Mm -hmm. so you learn to learn and to love learning so I have this thirst for knowledge and it excites me when I learn something new so I want to share that information with other people. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I get excited by it. And so I want other people to be excited by it as well. Um, but, you know, I don't want it to sound like uh, a humble brag, but some people are just good teachers. And it's something that other people saw in me and mm-hmm. sort of trained that up in me. And so, I, like I said, I knew from uh, early age that it was one of the gifts that I had. Um, So I think striking the balance was, number one, humility, right? Because good teachers, even though all students won't become good teachers, Mm -hmm. most teachers were good students. So Mm -hmm. you have to be humble and know that you don't know everything. Um, You have to have a good uh, mind to question and Mm -hmm. to decipher what's important and what's not important and just to be teachable. And so once you are teachable, then you will find qualities in the teachers that you like and you want to Mm -hmm. emulate. So I am just a complete mashup of all of these people who poured into me. So I have so many different aspects because I had so many different great teachers. And so I may take a piece from this person and a piece from that person because I was a good student first. Right, right. Absolutely. So it sounds like a lot of being a good teacher is a lot of the same things that probably make you a good doctor um, you know, is that you have a lot of good leadership qualities and also are taking in, as you said, learning constantly, even you said like pieces that you learn from other doctors or other people in your life. So I think that's a really 
really unique thing and something hopefully a lot of us can relate to. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. So I know that you've you know, in keeping with this theme of teaching, and this is another aspect of teaching in my mind, but I know you've published a lot of research. Could you think about maybe one or two works that you've published that you're the most proud of and maybe talk a little bit about why? Absolutely. So I I would say that um, first would have to be the first major publication I had. So I worked with an attending when I was in my third year of medical school, uh, she had an idea for a research project and it was very raw. Um, and she basically said, you know, this could be your baby. So it was a survey of um, the education as far as cosmetic and procedural dermatology and how that varied with, through residency programs from one mm-hmm. residency program to another. And so she had this idea, but I had to carve it out. So I had to come up with the questions. I had to apply for the IRB approval. I had to administer the survey. Then I had to work with stats to analyze the data and then turn it into a paper, right? So I'm working on this from its inception all the way to to the end. Uh, And so number one, it was my first time going through the IRB approval process. So I learned a great deal. But this was published in the major uh, dermatology journal, the JAD, which is um, the Journal of Academic, um, I'm sorry, the Journal of the Academy of, uh, of Dermatology in America. And so it's cool. a major journal. Yeah. Uh, and so I was really excited to have this published in such a, uh, a well-known and well-read journal. So that would have to be at the top of the list. I mm-hmm. mean, when you have, um, as a, a medical student, you know, when the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology right. publishes a study that you really help develop, it's major. So yeah. that's number one, just from the experience that I had mm-hmm. there. Let's just take a quick break here. Since you're listening, I want to make sure you have access to all of the great Beauty of the Nile content. Make sure you're subscribed to the Beauty of the Nile newsletter. Of course it's free. Just head on over to beautyofthenile.com. You'll find a form where you can subscribe. It's very quick and easy. You can do it now. We'll be right here when you get back. Enjoy. And then the second one I would have to say was one that was published in the uh, Journal of Drugs and Dermatology for hmm. their skin of color issue that, that comes out. Uh, and oh, this particular awesome. one, I think it came out in April. Usually it comes out in, in April. And we got the cover. So one of the pictures from our from our article was on the cover. That's uh, so awesome. of course, that, that was really amazing to have it there. Yet we talked about uh, skin manifestations of, of lupus. Um, so I worked with my mentor, and this is when I was a resident. I worked with my mentor, and then I worked with a medical student to get this published. Um, and so kind of having the cover and um, also seeing the med student uh, thrive as well because this is a medical student who's going to be applying to dermatology. And so that feeling I got when the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology uh, published my <laughs> my paper, Right. I, I knew that that student was had that same experience and was feeling um, that same excitement. So I would That's say awesome. those two are, are 
probably the ones that stand out to me. And also because it was focused on uh, cutaneous manifestations of, of lupus, specifically in patients with skin of color, which lupus can be really devastating um, to our mm-hmm. to patients in general. Uh, so it just had uh, a lot of impact. So those two. Yeah, those are, first of all, both sound amazing. And I'm going to make sure I find a way to check them out once we get off the phone. That's awesome. And I loved especially what you said about not only did you love these things, you know, that these research works that you published because of the work that you put into them and the impact, but also I love that you talked about the impact on the people that worked with you, you know, um, and how how they felt. And so probably all related to your being a good teacher, but I think it's a lot of awareness that you showed of, of kind of your team around you. So that's that's awesome. It was a great experience. When you talked a little bit about teaching, I mean, it, you know, I, I also engage in a lot of mentoring. Um, mm-hmm. And so I like it when I can take what was poured into me and pour it into others. So just um, giving that student that opportunity, uh, you know, you, you feel good about it. Yeah, that's that's really wonderful. And on a related note, um, I know you give have given a ton of lectures um, already in your career. What what topic do you most enjoy lecturing on? So I wouldn't say there's anything in particular that I've enjoyed lecturing more than any other topic. Mm-hmm. I've lectured on hair loss. I've lectured on cosmetic dermatology and medical dermatology. Um, I would say that I have found certain experiences to be uh, more exciting. Mm. One of them was a lecture that I developed for uh, the emergency medicine physicians. So one of, actually it was a chair of emergency medicine at the University of Florida, asked Mm. that uh, someone in dermatology present a lecture to uh, to them, emergency medicine residents, just to help them with, you know, emergent dermatology cases um, and helping them decipher, you know, what was urgent, emergent, and what can be seen basically as an outpatient. Okay. Um, and so that was really, really interesting because these are physicians who may not have uh, wide or um, deep understanding of dermatology. And so mm-hmm. I, I got to to pour into them and, and teach them. And I did that also with, you know, some family medicine doctors and I've done mm-hmm. it outside of dermatology, which right. I don't know, it's just it's a different it's a different environment, a different feeling. And they are really appreciative um, for these lectures because, you know, you don't learn a lot of dermatology in medical school. So sometimes mm-hmm. we have I uh, no idea <laughs> what to right. do when patients come in with these different you know, rashes or ulcers or things like that. So I think it had a lot of impact, you know. The, yeah, it had a lot of impact. And I actually worked on a, a book with an emergency medicine oh, cool. physician um, as part of a board review and, and helped him with some of the dermatology in it. Um, so, so I would say I really enjoy teaching non-dermatologists. Um, about dermatology where there's overlap. Right, right. That sounds very cool. And that's something that was super interesting to me as someone who's obviously never gone to med school, but you talked about, um, you know, you don't learn about dermatology in med school. So can you talk about for me and for everyone listening, you know, 
like you go to med school um, and then what happens from there? Like, and how do you, or when do you learn about dermatology? Is it in your residency? Is it on your own? Like, how does that work? So it's going to be dependent on your particular curriculum, but for most schools, there's a week or two of dermatology lectures. Mm. Um, they're teaching you bread and butter, you know, basic science, anatomy, and things like that mm -hmm. heavily in your first couple of years. And then they want to teach you general medicine. Schools will have one week or two weeks of dermatology built in. Then when the curriculum really starts to differ would be an elective. So for me, we mm -hmm. had a month in third year where you can take an elective, and so I took dermatology. Not all students okay. have that, so and not everyone will choose to do a month of dermatology. So that's right. why I started to learn a little bit more about derm. For people that are interested in dermatology, they have to seek out those electives. And then in fourth year, uh, you have some more time to do electives usually, and that's pretty common throughout med school. So people will uh, choose to do an elective in fourth year. But that is just scratching. I mean, I don't even know if you can call it scratching the surface. It's so superficial. When you, after you finish intern year and you're in dermatology residency, that first year is like a whirlwind. You're learning an entirely new language. Uh, we have to learn not just the diagnosis, but you, you have to learn sometimes down to the genes that cause mm -hmm. the, the diagnosis or that lead you to be more susceptible to it. Then learn, you know, how to say mm -hmm. that four-word name for it, and then you have to talk yeah. about, you know, uh, what the pathology looks like. So what does it look like under the microscope? And then you have to move to the treatment. So there's okay. dermatology is such an in-depth field. It's yeah. amazing. And most people who aren't in dermatology don't know how much um, how much knowledge there is. I mean, mm -hmm. our books are, are huge. Mm -hmm. And we read through them sometimes, you know, every year. So it's a lot right. of information to learn, but you're going to learn the bulk of it in a dermatology residency. And you can learn some of it on your own. For instance, at Penn State, where I went to medical school, the department chair at the time um, and the current chair, they have a book out there that's just sort of like the basics of dermatology okay. for, you know, med students or people that are interested in learning and getting their feet wet with dermatology. So that's a good resource. But outside of residency, people are mostly learning derm on their own or through conferences. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So residency is where a lot of the heavy lifting is done that is that is very cool and also I you know you know I've interviewed a lot of dermatologists for this podcast and it is very abundantly clear to me how much knowledge and how much work goes into it and I've heard it's a very it's one of the most competitive um, specialties to go into so I am not surprised to hear to hear all the work that goes into it because you are all so impressive that's so kind. It, it, it is one of the more competitive specialties, imagine, too. Um, and I think that uh, because the hours, the hours we work aren't mm. as physically demanding, sometimes people would mistake the residency for being sort of an easy one. But when you're not in clinic, you're reading. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you're reading in clinic. So it's a, it's a lot of, uh, of, of work that you put into becoming a, a good dermatologist. Right, right. That's amazing. And it definitely shows. That's really cool. So another question I have for you, and this is more about looking forward, I guess, and your thoughts on, on dermatology as a whole. 
what what changes do you hope to see in dermatology or maybe just in skincare generally in the next five to ten years? Well, we need more representation, and I'm going to break it down into two parts. So mm-hmm. the first is we need more black dermatologists. Dermatology mm-hmm. is one of the least diverse specialties out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need more black dermatologists. Sometimes people are asking me, do you have a recommendation for a black dermatologist in this area? And, you know, there's mm-hmm. not one in, in that entire metropolitan area. So we need right. more dermatologists. Um, black dermatologists, and I don't want to make it seem like non-black dermatologists aren't capable of taking care of black skin. They are. I I try to tell people that because the people who taught me dermatology, the the bulk of them, most of them are not black, and mm-hmm. they're great dermatologists. So they are they are um, able to treat patients with skin of color. Mm-hmm. But we need more representation. We need it because I think some of You know, the diseases that affect, diseases and conditions that affect black patients at a higher rate, um, Mm -hmm. you know, scarring forms of hair loss, we need more research behind it. We need Mm -hmm. people who are going to push those uh, to pharmaceutical companies, hey, we need more research, we need more treatment. Uh, And then we also want patients to feel comfortable. So some patients are just more comfortable seeing a dermatologist uh, with 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 similar skin or with similar right. hair, uh, and so I just want the environment to be very welcoming for them, and I want them to be able to choose a doctor that they feel comfortable seeing. I want to make sure you have access to all of the great Beauty of the Nile content. Make sure you're subscribed to the Beauty of the Nile newsletter. Of course, it's free. Just head on over to beautyofthenile.com. You'll find a form where you can subscribe. It's very quick and easy. You can do it now. We'll be right here when you get back. Enjoy. But dermatology also needs to be more diverse as far as our learning material, our Mm. textbooks. They need to incorporate more photographs and images that depict disease states in patients with different skin types because it can look very different depending on the skin type of the patient. So we need more representation there. Uh, and then we need more representation as far as um, things that may be more specific to patients with um, with skin and, and ethnic, with skin of color and ethnic hair. So mm-hmm. you know we need to go in depth into you know hair care products and their ingredients. And uh, as a dermatologist at, at Johns Hopkins, we're working to to do just that. Uh, but we need more black dermatologists here that are going to kind of push the envelope mm-hmm. um, and push that agenda. Right, right. I think those are three really, really great points. And I thought it was one thing that I found really interesting in talking with you and in talking with some of the other dermatologists um, that I've had on this podcast is that you guys have such an in-depth knowledge, not just, you know, the technical training that you have, but also just the how it feels, you know, how it feels for a woman of color experiencing hair loss, how it feels for like, why is a black woman losing her hair? And, you know, what is she, what are her hairstyles and how can we help? And so that's something that's been really unique and just, you know, what's going on with her skin and, you know, how does she feel about it? And just like you said, that sort of like feeling comfortable and relating to the person who's going to be treating you, I think is a really big thing for patients um, just to make people feel comfortable and to get people going to the dermatologist. So I think those were really great points. Absolutely. You know, I have women, black women who come in for hair loss and it takes them seven minutes to even, you know, take their wig off or to pull their scarf back. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm a black woman. 
So right. I can imagine what it's like going to see, you know, a white male, you mm-hmm. know, for, for these particular patients. And again, it's not, it's, I mean, I have wonderful white male dermatology colleagues, some of my mm-hmm. best friends, but it's, again, it's that comfort level. And so um, sometimes patients are just opting not to go or they're right. seeking uh, advice that isn't really uh, what's best for them because mm. they're, they're avoiding seeing uh, someone else. Right, 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 right. Wow, that's very interesting. And, and you know, when you see these patients of color, you know, black women, you know, women, South Asian women, however you're seeing, what are some of the most common skin concerns that they come to you, you know, for? Well, acne and hyperpigmentation, that is the result of acne, definitely mm-hmm. are at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clear skin is, <laughs> clear skin is always in. Right. So patients <laughs> want to get rid of the acne, but because um, acne leads to post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation in our tan and brown patients, they're coming in for dark spots. So, um, and then I would have to say that hair loss, hair loss is, is our major uh, area of concern. So I have lots of patients that come to see me for, for hair loss. So those are the two most common, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a nice variety of skin concerns, rashes of all different sorts, but I would <laughs> oh boy. say, and, and specifically to patients with skin of color, um, acne and, and it's post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and then hair loss. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And, you know, I know everyone has different approaches sort of, but when somebody comes to you with acne or hyperpigmentation or both in, in a lot of cases, what do you tend to recommend or how do you kind of walk through what will be the treatment plan for that patient? So one of the things that um, I think is really important is that you gain the patient's trust, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about that hair loss patient that, you know, maybe went to see a doctor and, you know, oh, they told me to do this and that, but, you know, I didn't do it. (laughs) <laughs> but they'll listen to what their hairstylist, what their hairstylist is, right? And but it's right. about the relationship and the trust. Like they they build right. a relationship with their hairstylist. They trust them, uh, and this is no shade to hairstylists, uh, but they they are listening to the the people that they trust. Right. Uh, so the first thing you have to do, especially when it's something as difficult as hair loss, you gotta gain the patient's trust. You you have mm-hmm. to work really hard to do that because it's gonna be difficult. You know, sometimes both hair loss and, and acne require oral medications. And it's one thing to tell somebody to put on a cream. It's a different conversation when somebody has to take an oral medicine for an extended period of time. So the first thing is build the trust and engage the patient's response. You know, I let them know there are several different ways we can treat this. This is a partnership. You let me know what you're comfortable with. I'll give you um, an honest answer on you know, what the expectations are going to be depending on what treatment course we decide. But I want patients to feel like I'm not just throwing things at them, that they're part of the conversation and we're making a decision together. Um, so, yeah, there are, you know, obviously there's more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to right. acne. Not all acne is the same. Some are going to mm-hmm. respond well to topical medicines. You know, we talk about hormonal acne. Me, you know, mm-hmm. it really requires oral medicine. I just cut to the chase and tell them, like, I can get rid of your clogged pores and I can get rid of the surface bacteria, but the hormones are here to stay. So, um, right. you know, it just depends on the type of acne, how long it's been there, is there scarring involved, how aggressive we need to be to, to get it under control. 
And then when it comes to hair loss, the same thing. I sort of tell patients, you know, my medical assistants will laugh, but I tell them it's a buffet. And here, you know, here mm-hmm. are the appetizers, the entree, and here's the dessert. <laughs> and, you know, we can have the whole, you know, meal. Or, you know, we can just, you know, start with some appetizers and, and see where we go. So the same thing, topical oral medicines, there are injections we can do for hair loss. But the mm-hmm. most important thing is that patients understand it's a journey. Right. And we give them reasonable expectations because for patients that come back and say, you know, this isn't working, you know, somebody comes back in four weeks, it's not working. But I right. told you it would take three months to work, remember? You know, so <laughs> just making sure that patients understand. Patients aren't dumb. I think for a long time, you know, we were talking at patients and not mm-hmm. having conversations with them. Right. So they need to know why you're using this or why you're using that medicine so that they know why it's important that they adhere to all of the things that I've, I've put in place for their regimen. Right, right, right. Okay, awesome. So you're basically taking some, I guess you're teaching, that's like a constant theme, but you're taking, you know, some of the knowledge you have after you sort of assess the patient, passing it on to them so that, you know, when they leave you, they're actually doing what they need to do to make sure that you know, whatever you recommend to them is effective because it's not one size fits all, basically. Exactly. Okay, awesome. So that's, this is like such good information. I love it. I want to ask a little bit more about you personally. So curious, what do you feel have been your biggest accomplishments and why? And this can be, you know, personal or professional, however you want to answer the question. Hmm. So I would say they're there too for me um becoming a dermatologist is you know the major milestone for me mm-hmm. uh, I did not initially think I would go to medical school when I went to college and so my but second semester of my junior year I had this whirlwind experience when I decided to not go into advertising oh, wow. and go into to medicine and so mm-hmm. it really was a whirlwind for someone who hadn't taken science courses to come right. cram all these science courses take the MCAT get into med school and you know next thing I know I'm like in med school boom and then you know to fall in love with such a competitive specialty it was kind of like oh gosh okay another whirlwind here we come so you know by the grace of God he just you know opened these doors for me uh, so kind of completing that journey and becoming a, a board certified dermatologist it, it meant the world to me and um so that is definitely, a, it took a lot of, a lot of work and, you know, you, you miss out on your twenties, but start mm-hmm. med school when I was, you know, 23, getting ready to turn 24 and no, I guess I was 23 at the time. And then, you know, you graduate and you finish residency and here I am 30. I'm like, where did my twenties go? <laughs> I don't remember, you know, what, what, was, was I ever in my twenties? Um, <laughs> So you sacrifice a lot, you know, there were bachelorette parties and birthday mm-hmm. parties and things that I wasn't able to go to. And, you know, it's always, um, you know, there's always a sacrifice involved. So, but it's a, it's, it's an awesome ride. I, I wouldn't change it. And just being able to help patients on a daily basis, uh, it, just, it really makes it all worth it. So that, that's there. And then, um, you know, I, I really enjoy um, mentoring and teaching. And so uh, my sister and I started a nonprofit. Um, the Blossom um, has meant a lot to me as well. That's awesome. Those are both really good ones and a very good balance. What does being a woman of color 
you know, having skin of color mean to you? And you can take that any way, any way you'd like. So just being a woman of color, I feel like we're some of the most resilient creatures out there. Um, You know, we've been very proud, proud Mm -hmm. of my heritage, proud of sort of um, blossoming, blossoming despite, um, you know, society uh, Mm -hmm. constantly saying that, you know, we're we're low on the totem pole. And, Mm -hmm. you know, does that still exist? Yes, we see both race and gender um, inequality in, in the workplace and uh, so it, it means a lot to have accomplished the things that I've accomplished. I was the first black female resident to graduate from uh, the University of Florida's dermatology wow. residency in 2015. Wow. So well, congratulations. it's resilient. That's, that's Thank crazy. you. <laughs> it's, it's resilient, you know, yeah. kind of beating the odds. Um, you know, so to me, when uh, I see other Black women, um, you know, I am happy to celebrate with them and their accomplishments. And, you know, there's this, um, there's this part of me who just wants to see other women, women of color succeed because mm-hmm. we are strong and we're strong despite other people taking our strength mm-hmm. and turning it into anger, you know, and mm. saying, oh, mm. this is an angry black woman, but really it's like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just resilient, you know, I've, mm. I've yeah. had to, um, to work a little harder, you know, I've, I've had to endure some of those microaggressions, and I, I've had to push through and, and, and create room and space for myself, um, and right. it's a very unique experience, it's mm-hmm. not something other people can sort of listen to your stories, and and have some some empathy, but it's a really unique experience that you yeah. can't always describe. You can't mm-hmm. always describe it, but strength and resilience. Having skin of color, you know, this, this idea within racism of colorism. So I'm a mm-hmm. brown, you know, dark brown black woman. Mm-hmm. And growing up, a society uh, didn't just say that, you know, um, my, being black was a problem. Being a dark-skinned black woman, uh, yeah. again, some of those you know comments or things uh-huh. that were thrown my way um, really taught me to dislike my skin tone when I was uh-huh. younger. Uh, but as I've grown up and been blessed to be in dermatology, I'm so thankful for it. Like I love yeah. my rich color, and this is not to put down any other complexion because we're all beautiful. Right. But I had to relearn that my skin is beautiful, you know, because mm-hmm. I was told that it wasn't for so long. Yeah. Um, so having skin skin of color for me, that experience was uh, learning and then unlearning and then yeah. learning to love. So wow. I, I, that is really beautiful. And I'm really, thank you for sharing that, being so open about it. And first of all, you're beautiful. You really are. Um, that was like one of the first things that I noticed after I was like, okay, I have so to kind. interview her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, I have to interview her. She's obviously so accomplished, but then I was like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. So first of all, there's that. And, um, you know, you're right. That's existed in society. It still exists in a lot of ways. And so definitely for me, that was something that I, you know, hoping to accomplish with Beauty of the Nile is like make sure that everybody knows that all of these different brown shades of, of which there are so many 
are all beautiful and none more beautiful than the other, like you said. So, um, you know, I'm just thank you for sharing that. That was very well said. Okay. Another question for you. What are some words of wisdom that you live by? Maybe like on a tough day or, you know, maybe getting you through all those years of years of school, like what, what pushed you through or what pushes you through? Um, I would say I have a couple of different things that I love to say, and it, you know, it applies to a lot of different situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love that uh, saying that comparison is the root of all insecurity. When mm-hmm. I graduated from high school, um, one of our family friends bought me this book, and it was really meant for sort of teenagers transitioning into this um, young adult phase. Mm-hmm. And okay. this this was written in there. It was a quote from that book, comparison is the root of all insecurity. And so you can take it on a superficial level and say, okay, well, don't compare your body or, you know, your skin tone, all of those things to other people. It's what causes us to be insecure. But when you're in an environment that's so competitive, right, like med school, uh, mm. you, you can't help but, you know, what do you get on that test? And, you know, people are, okay, well, who's the head of the class? And what rank are you? What percentage are you? And, you know, well, this person did well. And you're not going to match into this. And it's just this competitive nature um, to, to med school. And so this quote, just it, it always finds its way back into my life. Your journey is your own, and what's meant for you is meant for you. There's no need to compare, because the moment you start comparing, that's the moment that you start seeing the flaws and deficiencies uh, in yourself. And what's meant to be is going gonna, is gonna to be as long as you put in the work and the effort. So when I said before, like, I want everybody to win, because we can. We can all win. There's no right. reason that I need to compare um, so I love that comparison is the root of all insecurity. And then another one would be, this one is for me because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So <laughs> this was more specific to me, but the quote is beautiful. It says, it doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. Mm, yeah. And again, you can apply that. Now we want to do things in excellence. So when I'm right. at work, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing things in excellence. But sometimes when we're shooting for perfection at work or in our relationships, uh, we become so obsessed with it that we miss out on the beauty of whatever's there. We miss out on the beauty of the relationship just because it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, you can really tease something apart and nitpick it if you're not careful. So I love that one. But it, it's, it's for us perfectionists out there. It doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. Yeah, I think those are really good ones. Those are those are great. And definitely both, I think, are good for everyone to hear as women and, you know, as people just trying to be their best, you know, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves. So I think those are great. Awesome. Another one for you. It's a little bit related. What's one big thing, and it can be personal or professional, that you've learned that you wish you'd known before you started on your journey? And so this can be your life journey, your journey to dermatology, whatever, however you'd like to answer the question. I think it really is, I should have listened to my mom. <laughs> As you get older, you should realize how white your mom was. But I remember when I was going through adolescence and my years of insecurity, and she should always tell me, you're, don't, you're worried so much about what these people think, or, you know, this is, you're allowing this to carry so much weight. Mm. Um, but it's not going to matter. You know, this is a, a blip 
on the radar. It's such a small period. And if you allow uh, society or this peer group or where, wherever you are to influence you so heavily, um, then it's really going to start taking you off course. And so mm-hmm. I would say for me that she, you know, she obviously she's right, you know, because right. you don't know these things. It's your whole entire world when you're 14 or 16 <laughs> and that I broke up with you or, you know, things are more <laughs> right or, you know, you didn't do well on this test, but more of the, the big picture, the long game, the marathon uh, aspect to, to life and just to um just to to stay focused things are always going to come in and and distract you um but just to to stay focused and to learn i tell anybody who comes to me that wants me to mentor them one of the first things i tell them i say learn everything the first time okay Mm. because they're teaching you these things for a reason they're going to find their way back into your curriculum or into your life in some way so when people are going through med school I'm like learn everything the first time because you don't want to have to relearn these things Um, so just staying focused if there's a goal you want to achieve just staying focused on it and pursuing that and not allowing yourself to get distracted because it's very easy yeah, those are great ones, and those are all. I as as you were saying them, I was thinking about the implications they have for life and for for careers and professional pursuits. So those are really really good ones. My last question for you: What does being a part of the Beauty of the Nile community mean to you? I would have to say that first, um, I love this platform. Um, I think it's really important that, you know, we, first of all, that we get this information, good information out there through social media, because mm-hmm. one of the the downsides for our freedom of speech is that anybody can say anything, <laughs> and post it, you know, right. and the more people that like it, the more, you know, the quicker it gets disseminated, whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in in particular here, so I love that you have dermatologists on there and this information is getting out there, but specifically for women of color, because it's about time, Koryana, it's about time that we're celebrated. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time that, you know, we can really look at women of all shades and celebrate the beauty through all skin types um and it's not something that for years for decades for centuries mainstream media you know which was controlled by a small few would only promote certain images you know body images you know skin types and then you know they got to control the narrative so they got to you know style or um stage people how they wanted the world to perceive them so if they wanted the ideal family to be the cleavers or the brain mm-hmm. they got to dictate what people right. saw and then people make impressions based on that so to have a community where people are going to see women of different shades they're going to hear the voices they're going to hear the experiences um it just allows us to control the narrative and really celebrate and highlight uh, women of color. So that's what I love the most is that this is a time period where 
not a small few get to just dictate to the rest of us what is mm-hmm. beautiful or what is fashionable. We get to, to say who we are. We get to represent ourselves. And there's a chance for uh, a lot of people to see that behind the scenes, uh, to get to know us as humans, um, and to right. celebrate women of color with us. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that you said that. And, you know, um, I always ask every guest that because it's so beautiful to hear how, how it impacts everybody differently. But I definitely agree. And it, I think it's so important, as you said, to have your voices, you know, the voices of, you know, dermatologists and skincare experts really um, educating us all because, like, it's what we talked about before, right? There's such a benefit in having somebody who looks like you, who understands you, um, sharing their perspective, sharing their knowledge, and as you said, realizing, okay, these are humans, you know, these are real people, um, and, you know, this is what their day-to-day life is like, and this is how they, you know, have dealt with skin issues in the past and loving their skin, and so um, I'm really appreciative that you came on today. You were such a great guest, and I learned a lot, and I had a lot of, I had fun, and I, I really related to you, and I think a lot of people will, so just thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time with this conversation. I hope you all did too. I really loved what Dr. Fry said about her journey throughout her life to loving her brown skin and why she believes that being a woman of color is a true gift and blessing. I couldn't agree more. I especially loved her point about there being room at the top for all of us to be elevated, celebrated, and succeed. We're all beautiful in all of our diverse shades of brown. I'm excited to continue to elevate our voices and highlight the knowledge and experiences of women of color. I know I learned a ton of great info today, and I had a ton of fun, and I hope you did too. This is Jasmine Mobley, and you've been listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. Beauty of the Nile is your space for skin tips, makeup tricks, inspiration, and motivation. We are here to celebrate and highlight our skin's beauty. Say it with me. Love your brown skin. Be sure you catch the next episode's amazing guests will be dropping gems. For fabulous beauty inspiration, especially for brown skin, get our free newsletter subscription at beautyofthenile.com. We cannot wait to connect and share with you. Until next time, enjoy life. <laughs>